So as as we thought about this, you know, the parable itself, if you think about what it's called, it's called the parable of the prodigal. And it seems he's the brother that gets all of the attention. And the reason for that is everyone that is brought into the kingdom of God, they come in like the prodigal came in. They are sinners. They're found to be sinners. They are found guilty. They come in shame and in sorrow and in repentance and God brings them into the family. Even as I thought about this, just this statement, it's shocking to the flesh. But you know, there's never been a good person saved. Never been a righteous person saved. Jesus Himself said, I come not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The whole have no need of a physician, but the sick. So there's never been a righteous person that's been saved. They've all come, I believe as Paul, and in religious terms, Paul the apostle, the elite of the elite, the best of the best, and Paul the apostle confessed, I'm the chiefest of sinners. And in the heart of everyone that comes to Christ, that will be their thought, their feeling of their self. I'm the chiefest of sinners and God has shown me mercy and grace just as He did this prodigal son. So we saw, we got down to about verse 22. We saw the, the sinner, the prodigal, we saw him come home. The father brought forth the best robe and you know, you think about the righteousness of Christ, the holiness of Christ that's been given to the sinner that comes in repentance. A perfect righteousness without spot and without wrinkle. Uh, just, just to think now, here's a vile sinner that's going to have the best robe in the house put on him. You know, that's what the church is. Sinners and uh, ungodly and wicked people that God has cleansed and washed and they've been given a righteousness so pure that when they stand before God, they will be without spot and without wrinkle. As God looks on them, He sees His Son's righteousness. Now how can you get anything better to put on than that? Nothing else will be acceptable. Only the righteousness of Christ. They brought forth the ring and put it on His hand. He not only brought Him in as a servant or a slave, but He put Him back. He's a son. He's got authority. He's got evidence of that authority. You know, you think about the head, and we talked about this for just a few minutes. The head on the reputation, the city, the family, the servants, the people, they knew where this man had been. They knew the sin that he had been involved in. And he comes back to town and, you know, they're going to say, well, there's no way that the Father would bring something like you back in. There's no way that they would allow you in. You know, the devil works like that. Even in the midst of the church and in the minds of people that are saved and outward as well. There's no way that God can save somebody that's like that. But you know, God gives the ring of the Holy Spirit of God. And, and that's there for the assurance of the individual that God has set them in the family of God and as evidence to those round about that this person has been a recipient of the goodness of God. And shoes on his feet, a man that's barefoot, and the servants typically were barefoot, 
in these days. But you think about the change of the walk. If you walked out of here to your car tonight barefoot, you'd walk different than you were if you had shoes on. You'd pay more attention. It'd be a different walk. And I believe that's the sign here that as this son is brought into the family, shoes are put on his feet. As the sinner comes to Christ, the life is reformed and remade and a new creation is brought forth. They're not going back to the pig pen. They're not going back to the far country. Their life has been changed by the experience of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the father does these things and he says, Bring hither the fatted calf, verse 23, Kill it, let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. Now to say that I understand the whole depths of this, even talked a little bit about it this afternoon. We know from earlier in this chapter, the first two parables, that there's rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repented. And Peter wrote these words, and these words boggle the mind that the gospel by the Holy Ghost is preached unto us which things the angels desire to look into. They'd like to know about the grace and the love that God has had upon sinners. That a wicked son that could go and spend his father's money and spend his father's goods and waste it in sin and in filth, ruin his reputation, mar the reputation of the father, live in ungodliness and in wickedness, how that this son could be brought back and accepted and not brought back as uh, somebody on the back burner or somebody that's a servant, not put down and put away and shamed, but brought right back in, right under the Father's house as a son. The angels don't know anything about that. They've been pure and holy and obedient since the day of their creation. They don't know what grace is. I tell you, the church knows the grace and the love of God in Jesus Christ and we're able to rejoice in that. So there's rejoicing in heaven over one sinner that repenteth. We see glimpses of that in Revelation as God is revealing to John the heavenly side of things. As the Lamb takes the book, they sing a new song in heaven. The the song in heaven is worthy is the Lamb. Praise to the Lamb. And again, the 144,000, they've got a song that only they can sing. I tell you what deliverance, what victory that there is in Jesus Christ and what rejoicing it brings to the heart of the sinner that is saved. You get down to the place that this young man was and I believe every sinner that's ever been saved has got down to this place. I'm not worthy to be here. I'm not worthy to be forgiven. I'm worthy of death. I've sinned against heaven and against thee. I've sinned against the church. I've done all this ungodliness. I'm unworthy to be here. And when God takes the weight of sin and guilt off of you and gives you liberty and peace in Jesus Christ, there will be a rejoicing there to be rid of the guilt and the filth and to be made a member of the family of God. How could there not be rejoicing that the Father would accept us? And the Father says, bring hither the fatted calf. Bring hither the one and whether you like it or not. This thing had been laid up. It had been fatted. It had been fed for the occasion. 
This wasn't an unplanned occurrence. This was known about, brought to pass. And so here, there's going to be rejoicing, there's going to be singing, and there's going to be making merry. That's in heaven. That's amongst the church. If you'll have it, the church spiritually is in heaven. In the heavenly. How can we be in Christ? Right now, we are hid away with Christ, in Christ, with God. How could we be there? And where is Jesus? The right hand of the Father. He's in heaven. Spiritually speaking, the church is a heavenly place. You know where He set us? He set us in heavenly places with Christ Jesus. The church spiritually is a heavenly place. And that's where He set His people. And there's rejoicing in the church. There's rejoicing amongst the people of God when a sinner comes to repentance. Is there not joy? Can you not rejoice in the sinner that comes out of darkness and in the light? In the church, there's rejoicing. And so, this my son was dead and is alive. Now, was he dead? He wasn't dead. He was down there living it up, wasn't he? Oh, but spiritually, this son was dead. This is our picture. He was lost and is found. He's dead and is alive. There's been a resurrection that's occurred here. This young man... By the word of the Father, he has passed from death unto life. He has been brought from the dead. Now, who can raise the dead? Who can forgive sin but God alone? Who can raise the dead but God alone? There's been a work of God here. God has brought this child from death, from sin, by His grace and by His power... And we saw the grace. We saw it this morning in a far country. Not as He's coming back. Not as He's repenting. But in the hog pen, as His heart is desiring to eat the slop that the hogs are eating. As He's thinking, you know, it'd be good to fill my belly with that filth right there. As He's in that condition, God brings the man to Himself. I tell you what He done. He brought him from dead in sins unto life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And as He come to Himself, I tell you what He done. He came to life. And when he came to life, he returned to the father's house. So why would there not be merry? Would the father be glad that the child is back? Absolutely. Would the family not be glad that the sinner has come back? Absolutely. But are they all... If you look in the context of the chapter, now we're going to get to the meat of it. At the first of this chapter, the Pharisees and the scribes are saying this man's... He's eaten with publicans and sinners. How can this man accept people that's like this? Just being in their presence makes them unclean. They can't associate with people like this. How can Jesus do this? And Jesus gives the parable of the ninety and nine and the one that's lost in the wilderness. He gives the parable of the ten coins and the one that's lost. And you know which one is sought after? The one. The one is sought after. And you know why there's rejoicing? For the one. 
And so here is the one that has returned. But now in verse 25, now his elder son, we were introduced in the first, hadn't heard a word about this young man. You know, he was given part of his inheritance too. He, he divided unto them his living. At the same time, they both got their inheritance. And here's the elder son. He was in the field. Verse 25, And as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come. And thy father hath killed the fatted calf because he has received him safe and sound. So here's the brother now. He's out there working. He's out there laboring in the field. And the father comes, he, he draws near the house and he can hear the commotion that's going on. Uh, Frank talked about it this morning that as uh, Joshua and Moses were up on the mountain, they could hear the racket of the children of Israel having their hoorah uh, playing and worshiping the calf. And so much like that, now I'm not saying there's a sinful party going on here. There's rejoicing here over a child that's been brought back into the family, that's, that's been redeemed from the far country and from sin. But he comes in and he hears this rejoicing and he doesn't know what it is. Ain't that something? Have you ever witnessed that? That there be rejoicing. A a spiritual rejoicing and a spiritual joy and there's folks not not out in the world, not out in the far country. It's no wonder that the far country people don't know what it sounds like. It's no wonder that they don't know what rejoicing is. But now here's a young man that's in the house. Here's a young man that's the brother and he hears this rejoicing and says, what does this mean? And the Holy Ghost passes through the house and you know, I, I realize there's things done in the flesh that's not right. That'll put you under the bench. I, I realize that. But you know, there's times the Holy Ghost stirs somebody up. They've got something to say. They've got a song that's on their heart and it's rejoicing and praise and glory to the Lamb of God. And there's a crowd there in the house that says, what means this? What is this about? You know what the problem is? problem is He's righteous. He's not been saved. He doesn't know what it is to rejoice in the Spirit. And so he calls one of the servants. He's going to call somebody that knows. You know, that's what the unit did on his way. He didn't know what the Scripture was saying. He needed some help. You know, that's the way people are. People are in darkness. They don't know what's going on. They're blinded. They're under the control of Satan. You know, that's why the church is here. The church is here to shed light and reveal the hidden truths of the Word of God. You know, that's what God commands us to do for our children. To teach them the ways of God. Not just live and be an example, but to instruct and to teach them those things as well. And so we're here to do that, that people might understand. Now he's going to say, look, your brothers come back and they're happy and they're rejoicing, and the fatted calf has been killed, and they're making merry in there. Yeah. Now, what, what do you think the logical response should be from a sound-minded person? Well, boy, I'm glad he's back. Let me run in there 
and hug his neck. Wouldn't you think that would be logical? Your brother's been gone. But you know, there's a problem here. And we can look over uh, just a chapter or two in Luke. You're going to see the Lord speak a parable. And He says He added a parable to those that were righteous and despised others. You know, that's what self-righteousness produces. If I'm going to be good of myself, it naturally means that I have to despise you. I have to put you down in order to elevate me. And so this man's self-righteousness, it prevents him from being able to rejoice and be glad that his brother has been brought back into the family. This, This young man had nothing to do with this. This was a work of God. And yet he's angry that God would do such a thing. Angry that his brother would be accepted and that there would be a party thrown for him in 2 Samuel chapter 6. Now, the Ark of the Covenant, it's been out, it's been away ever since Eli's day. David tried to bring it back. You remember he tried to put it on a cart and haul it back home to Jerusalem and the cart stumbled. The man took Uzzah, I believe was his name. He touched it. God struck him dead and they parked it again. But now here, they've got back in. They've got the Levites to carry it. The ark's coming back into Israel and David is rejoicing that the ark is back. He's dancing and rejoicing. And when he comes back home, Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet David and said, How glorious was the king of Israel today who uncovered himself in the eyes of the handmaids and of the servants as one of the vain fellows shamelessly uncovereth himself. You know what she said? She said, you made a fool of yourself today. You were like the drunks and the dopeheads out there on the street. That's what you were out there acting like. You know what she was? She had no idea of the joy that the Ark of the Covenant would be back home. And so she despised David's rejoicing. David said, I'll make myself more base. I'll bring myself even lower. I'll make myself even less that I might exalt the name of God Almighty. Do you see the difference in heart? You've got one that's angry, one that's bitter, one that says, what's the purpose of this waste? Is that not what the disciples Judah said, as Mary poured out the ointment on the Lord Jesus, why we could have sold this ointment, that could have been a help, but now it's been wasted. And the righteous says, what a waste. What a waste that there would be rejoicing over this sinner. And so the brother, he's mad. And the Bible says, In verse 28, he was angry and would not go in. I'm not going in. What's wrong? Let's read a few verses here and let's see what's wrong. He was angry and would not go in. Therefore came his father out and entreated him. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee. Neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment. And yet thou never gavest me a kid but that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this thy son was come, which hath devoured thy living with harlots, thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. So what's his problem? Well, he's angry. And if you think now, I believe we've got a very close parallel to this in the Old Testament. That is, Jonah was to be sent 
to the Ninevites to preach the Word of God to them. And you know, immediately we don't really know why that he doesn't want to go. Why that he's going to flee. We just know that God tells him and he flees. But you know, you get on down into chapter 4, you know what you're going to see? Jonah didn't want them to have mercy. That's a wicked bunch. They've caused a lot of trouble. They've caused a lot of hurt. I don't want them to be forgiven. I'd like for them to be destroyed. And when God shows mercy, Jonah is angry that God would show these people mercy. You know what the problem is now? I hope, I hope we can see this. The problem is man can't see the mercy that's being extended to him naturally as well as the mercy that he needs if he's going to escape the judgment. Paul in Romans 2, he addresses this same crowd as well. This crowd that's righteous in their own eyes. We've not done like the younger brother done. We've not lived like the younger brothers lived. We've not committed the sin that these other people have committed. And we don't need to repent like they need to repent. We've been in the Father's house the whole time. We've served God. We've labored and we've worked and we've done and we're good and we're righteous the way we are. We don't need repentance. More than 99 just persons which need no repentance. Now that's where this older brother was. He was one that didn't need repentance. He had never done anything wrong. And in Romans 2 and in 3, Paul takes the law and the Word of God and you know where he comes to in conclusion of that? Nobody's kept the law. Nobody's been perfect. Nobody's done as the Father has said ought to be done. Nobody's lived to perfection. Nobody's loved the Lord with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. And nobody's loved their neighbor as themselves. And because of that, the law has brought every single individual Guilty before God. You know what we all need? Mercy. We all need mercy. And you know, really in the New Testament, this is the way it is through the whole Gospels and New Testament. That as God has done for you, He expects you to do for others. That's why God says that we ought to forgive sins and forgive those that trespass against us. If anybody in the world could be forgiven, it ought to be the people that has been brought low and made guilty and recognize what God has forgiven us of. And if God's forgiven me of all of the sin that I've committed and He's made me righteous, could I not forget somebody that's done me wrong? And my, is there any comparison to what you can do to me as to what I've done towards God? No, if, if anybody on earth ought to have a forgiven heart, it ought to be the church that's been forgiven. If anybody on earth ought to desire mercy for sinners, it ought to be from sinners that has had mercy put on them. If anybody ought to have compassion on somebody that's in sin and in filth, it ought to be people that God has delivered out of sin and filth. But the self-righteous crowd, they've got no mercy or compassion. They look down their nose and they say, this man does not belong here. He's got no place at the church. 
He's got no place in the altar. I've been better than him from day one. He don't deserve anything. Honest to God, it would have made him happy. The father had tied him to a post and whipped him. This man ought to be beat for the way that he's lived. We're so much better in our own mind. But when we come to the judgment of the Word of God, the Word of God finds us all guilty and worthy of stripes. Finds us all guilty and worthy of judgment and damnation. And all stand in need of mercy and forgiveness. And so the younger son has received mercy. Did he deserve it? Absolutely not. He absolutely did not. And everyone that's ever been saved, they've not deserved it. The Bible backs that up. It is not of works, lest any man should boast. In Romans, what if Abraham found? If it were of works, he'd have whereof to glory. But boasting has been excluded, not by the law of works, but by grace. So none of this is earned. It's not worked out. I don't live for it and grow into it. I don't earn it over a period of time. I hope one day to earn a retirement. I've got to work out that retirement. But the kingdom of God is not like that. It can't be earned. For we've already broken the law. And so here's the elder son. The elder son hears the music. He finds out what's went on. And he says, Father... You've never killed for me the fatted calf. I've been a faithful and a loyal servant to you from day one and you've never given me anything like this. He's angry. What's what's he saying? Father, you've done me wrong. By saving him, you've cheated me. That's a cold statement, ain't it? That's what he's saying. You see that? He's angry. He's angry at the Father. Ain't it amazing? Don't let this go over your head. You think on this. Isn't it amazing that it says in Romans 2, man despises the goodness and long-suffering of God that would lead them to repentance. Isn't it something that man hates grace? That's what he's hating. That God would show grace to this younger brother. No, Father, I've earned the fatted calf and he's not earned it. Father, I've worked this out. I've been, and the word he says is a slave. I've been a slave to you all these years. I've done all this labor and I've got nothing for it. You're going to point your finger at God and say that to Him? We wouldn't do that. Not openly. We think in our mind how how detestable that that sounds. But boy, in the heart, those thoughts, that's what's going on. Angry at mercy and at grace and we want it to be 
of our works. That's what Cain was angry at. Cain brought the fruit of the ground. Now the ground was cursed. It was hard labor to bring fruit out of the ground. Harder than it is today, I believe. Because after the flood, when God opened the ark, it eased up. The Bible says that God eased up on the curse. So that fruit that Cain produced was hard labor. There was sweat and effort and toil put into producing that fruit of the ground. He had labored for that. And he brought that to God and God would not accept that. And here's his brother that brought a lamb. What did he do for that lamb? He just watched over the flock. That lamb was born. He brought the lamb and God accepted him and Cain was wroth. His countenance fell. But what did God say? God's going to entreat Cain. The father's going to entreat this son here. And he says, Cain, if thou doest well, you could be accepted. You know that there's a way that the Pharisees and the scribes and the holy and the good and the just people in the world, as well as the wicked and violent sinners, Jesus Christ and His sacrifice, there's a way that they could all be saved. Is there not? Could the Pharisees not be saved as well? Could they not put faith in Jesus? Could the eldest son not come in sorrow repenting? Absolutely. Absolutely, he could. But in his own eyes, he's too good to repent. He's too good to come down. He's too good to say, I've failed. Father, I've not failed and you shortchanged me. <clears throat> but the Lord, He does to Jonah. The Lord comes to Jonah, and He says, Doest thou well to be angry? Remember how Elijah, Elijah's sad, and he's depressed, and he's hopeless, and God comes to Elijah and said, What doest thou here, Elijah? And here the Father comes out to entreat the Son. My God, think about that for just a minute. A loving, merciful, kind, generous Father. And He's got to entreat an ungrateful, self-righteous young man. How merciful God is with sinners. He is. He is day by day. If you've awakened this morning, He's been merciful. And so He entreats And the son says these many years. In Luke chapter 17, the Lord Jesus says, Likewise ye, when ye have done all things which are commanded, say, we are unprofitable servants. We have done that which was our duty to do. So the Lord gives us the idea of what we ought to think of ourselves when we come to the close of a day. Let's just say a day. Let's not make it hard but a day, a 12-hour day. When we come to the end of the day and we can say we've done everything that God has commanded us to do and everything that we should do that day. Now, can we with any truth in our heart say that there's been a 12-hour span that we've ever done everything that God would have us to do that day? But if I do, you know what I ought to say at the end of that day? 
I'm an unprofitable servant and I've only done what's commanded. Boy, I, I don't have any place to boast, do I? There is, there's no boasting. There's no boasting in me. There's no boasting in what I do in the kingdom of God. And when you get it down, that's really what man hates. That's what man despises because it's no credit to me, no glory to me. But as soon as this thy son was come, which has devoured thy living with harlots, while he's lived in such filth and sin, infamous. A reputation of the worst kind. That's the kind of life that this man's had. And you've killed the fatted calf. And he said unto him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. Now let's, let's get it down to where it is. The younger son went to a far country. He spent and wasted everything that he had. You know what he's got now? All he's got's regret. That's all he's got left. That's all he had to bring back. The smell of the filth of the world and regret is all that he had to bring back. He almost starved to death down there, was hungry to the point that he was going to eat the most unclean food that there was for a Jewish individual to eat. He was starving to death. He says himself, I'm perishing with hunger. And he comes back to the father's house. Now here's a son that was there the whole time. He never went short of food. The father kept him fed and took care of him and provided for him day after day after day. And I realize you say, well, he don't do that for lost people. I tell you, God's good to the lost man. It rains on the just and the unjust. God's provided for the lost man just like He has the saved man. And the truth is, there's lost people in our community better off than saved people in our community. You're telling me the Father's not good and He's not just and He's not... I tell you, He's generous with all. He's give life, breath, and good to all. Undeserved, unearned, and unwarranted. Boy, it'd be good for us to see that. But you know what the elder son sees? I've done this myself. I've earned this. I've worked this out. This younger son, my brother, he's not earned anything. He's earned destruction. That's what he gets. He ought to get what he deserves. Ain't that what man says? Give them what they deserve. That's a hard saying. What do you deserve? I mean, ain't that the truth? Let him that is without sin cast the first stone. And they all went out. From the eldest to the youngest. And so here, thou art ever with me, and all that thy have is thine. It was meat. It was necessary. That's what the word means. It was necessary that we should make merry and be glad, for this thy brother was dead and is alive again. 
Here's one that's been delivered from the devil. One that's been delivered from the enemy. One that's been set free from sin. One that's been restored from ungodliness and brought back into the kingdom. And here you are angry about that. It was necessary that there be rejoicing. I believe it's necessary when God is working and stirring. It's necessary that in the heart of the family of God, there's rejoicing. The Holy Spirit will produce joy. But in them that have never been regenerated, they've never needed mercy. They've never needed forgiveness. They've never repented. They've never been sorry for the way that they live. There's no joy in that. No, all that ever produces is bitterness, anger, and hatred towards others. Ain't that the truth? Bitterness and hatred towards sinners and others in the family. This was this man's brother. It was necessary. So what does he say in Romans? One more place and we'll hush. Romans chapter 10. For I bear them record that they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant. What are they ignorant of? God's righteousness. They've got righteousness in their own mind. And their righteousness comes from measuring ourselves by ourselves. The elder brother measured himself by his younger brother. You know what that is? That's ignorance of what God truly requires. The Bible says in James, now you talk about something that's hard to swallow. The Bible says in James, if you're guilty in one point of the law, you're guilty of all of the law. I've never been a drunk, but I'm guilty of the law. I've never been a murderer like that man's been. I've never been an adulterer like that man's been. But by the word of God, when we break the commandments, we're guilty of all the law. There's not one better than another. There's not. You know what's wrong? People are ignorant of God's righteousness. God's not like man. God is without sin. He's without fault. He's without shadow. That's how bright that God is. But ignorance of God's righteousness has led them to establish their own righteousness. Because I don't know what God really requires, I think I can build my own righteousness and God accept it. Cain knew that God required a sacrifice. Why, it don't say that in the Old Testament. It doesn't say that in the Old Testament. But it is said in Hebrews chapter 11 that Abel, by faith, brought a more perfect sacrifice. Faith cometh by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. There had to be direction and instruction given as to what God desired in the sacrifice. Cain could have brought the right sacrifice. You could repent and be sorry for your sin. But you know what Cain said? He said, my fruit, it's good enough. I'm bringing it and God will accept it. That's what man says to God. You're going to accept me. 
You're going to take what I... Look at how hard I've worked for all of this. You ought to kill a calf for me. Hmm. That's hard, ain't it? It's ignorance of God's righteousness going about to establish their own. You know what it looks like? In God's eyes, this is what it looks like. It looks like them out there in the desert and we're going to build us a tower that's going to reach heaven. We're going to build it the Tower of Babel. We're going to build a tower and we're going to reach God by our own works. And God just changed some languages and dispersed them. I tell you, we're nothing. We're nothing to Almighty God. It's, it's amazing. It's wondrous. I, there ought to be joy and making merry of this that God is mindful of us where we are and where we've lived today. That God is mindful of the condition that we're in and that God is mindful enough to send the Word of God unto our heart and unto our soul. That, that ought to make us joyous. <coughs> They've not submitted themselves to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end. Now what that word means is the point aimed at. It's like a race. And you got the starting line. And you know what you're aiming for? The finish. Jesus Christ was the finish. The completion. He was the end. The termination of the law. Now does that mean the laws of no value? No. Because there's a finish line, does that mean I don't need to run the race? No, the law's still there. The commandments are still there. But you know what all that's to do? That's to lead me to the end. That's bringing me to the end point. It's bringing me to the finish line. And the finish line is not my works. It's not the fruit of the ground. It's not what I've done. The finish line is the Lord Jesus Christ. And if I don't come to the Lord Jesus, I've missed the finish line. And if I don't cross the finish line, and I realize this is natural, but I believe it's easy to see. If I don't cross the finish line, have I finished the race? We've not. If we miss the Lord Jesus Christ, we've missed the entire message of the law and the commandments. Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believeth. So you know what that means? That means that Christ is righteousness to those that believe. But you know that means the law is still in effect and in power and that I'm still going to be accountable for my deeds and my actions and my sins if I am outside of Christ. He's the end for those that believe. For those that don't, they're giving an account. Remember the unjust steward? We talked about him this morning. Give an account of what you've done with what I've given you. And so that's the way it's going to be at the end. Preacher, it's mine and I'll spend it as I want. And you'll give an account for every dollar that you spend if you'll have it that way. You'll give an account for every moment that you spend. Outside of the Lord Jesus, we're giving an account before God and you tell me today that you want to stand before God and tell everything that you've done.
Oh boy, we're in bad shape. You know what we need? We need the Lord Jesus Christ. Thy brother was lost. He was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. You know, that could be the story. That is the story for all of those that come to the Lord Jesus Christ in faith. You know what the story of everyone else is? They're angry. They're bitter. They're without joy. They can't rejoice. In the end, they're angry with the good Father. They're judged by their works. And they're cast into hell. We're not waiting on a judgment to figure out where lost people are going to go, are we? We know that if we go to the judgment with our works, we're not going to make it. That's revealed by the Scripture. So where does that point me? points me to the Lord Jesus Christ, the only hope I've got. That's all that's on our heart. We'll...